Hello and welcome to episode 7 of Shoot the Shirt. Today I am joined by Dan Canavan. Shoot the Shirt, as always, is the podcast where I interview men because I want men to talk. Dan, thank you so much for coming. How are you today? I'm well, thank you. Yeah, a little bit of hay fever going on, but I'm feeling pretty good. Yeah, I'm all right. Thanks, Lewis. Good. Yeah. Spring, spring is in the air. I'm, uh, I'm back. It's been, a, I think this will be about three months since the last upload. So yeah, hopefully be a little bit more consistent with these ones and yeah, start to start to build out from there. But yeah, thank you for being the, the first guest back, um, season two almost, let's say. Um, I know you're looking forward to this question. It's a question that was ummed and odd whether it was staying in the podcast, but that first question is, Dan, in your own words, what makes, what makes you a man? Okay, yeah, um, so having listened to some of your previous podcasts, it was one where I've sort of lay awake at night thinking about it ever since. Um, I don't think I've got the perfect answer, but I'm very happy to have a chat with you about what, it, what I think some of the things, the, the parts that contribute might be. So for me, um, being a man is about being showing respect to people, um, setting good examples to others around. Um, I think one of the key things was about, I think it's just about being a good human, to be honest, but then there are the man side of it's where it gets tricky, isn't it? So a part, I, I, that, that thing about yeah, setting it's... a good example is a strong one for me. It's about you know being a, a leader, being around, um, being polite, respectful to people, wanting to do the right thing, wanting to be helpful, being grateful and showing gratitude. They're all things that are important to me. You get into the yeah, discussion great, about, I think... you get into the discussion points about, you know, the traditional views of men about strength and power and all that sort of stuff. Well, I don't think that is the, the case particularly, but happy to talk it through with you, Lewis. Well, yeah, definitely. I think I think for me that question is, it's like, the reason that I ask that question is I don't want a textbook answer. I never wanted a textbook answer. I think the whole concept is whoever I'm interviewing, I'm hoping that there's someone out there slightly similar, has a similar sort of viewpoint. Um, we've obviously, we've not, uh, you're probably one of my first guests with the, like that I've known the least amount of time. Um, so this again is is a little bit of new new territory for me. I've sort of been working with with friends and, and friends of friends, which has uh, which has been great. But it's it's a new concept. It's a new person. It's a new voice, and it's just sharing those ideas. I think you're right. I think if you if we said what is a man, we might go down those sort of traditional gender roles. Whereas that question, what makes you a man, is essentially what you were saying is like what makes you a nice person what makes you the person you are um, yeah. it, it, it could be i could technically ask that question to to anyone and they could give me a give me an answer i you, i met you in 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 january we had uh, some great conversations i really want to sort of go back a bit because we sort of talked about the now and obviously that's not yeah. uh, someone people have been privy to, but we'll definitely move on to that. Um, you're a really likable guy, Dan. Like I really, I instantly connected with you and I really in, enjoyed speaking with you. So I'd love to get an understanding of what um, your sort of like upbringing was and what your sort of like early years were and sort of going into school and that, yeah. that sort of time period. Okay, so I think um, 
he probably goes into that role model thing, doesn't he? To, you know, I've just mentioned, and that's probably why that's so, so important to me as my role as being a man, is I want to be that role model for other people. Um, but going back to my childhood, I had a, a lovely childhood, lovely upbringing, um, an interesting one in so much that I got a, a Dutch mum. So my dad's born in England, but two Irish, grandpa- two Irish parents. So I've got Irish grandparents one side, Dutch grandparents the other side. Um, so I suppose I had quite a, a, a different upbringing to most of my friends who were very much born and bred and families from Stoke-on-Trent. Um, so that gave it an interesting dynamic. But I grew up, my dad worked 15 years in Germany. Um, he left Stoke to go and be a welder on the shipyards in Hamburg in Germany. Did really well working for a big American construction company that took him all over the world. Um, met my mum working in Holland. Um, and they decided when my mum was pregnant with my sister either to stay in Germany or to Holland or to come back to Stoke and he made the decision to come and set up our home here in Stoke-on-Trent um, so he was the, the the main role model in my life was my father you know my mum was the the person who kept everything ticking together while he was trying to start a business from scratch and was very busy you know and growing up I didn't see so much of my dad because he was between the UK and Germany and other places um, and it was, my mum was the person who was, you know, did everything for us, you know, picking us up, taking us to school, cooking the meals, cleaning, doing everything around for us to keep, to enable my dad to go off and do all the other things he was doing to build a future for us. So from that point of view, it was, um, I wouldn't say it was a strict household. There was clear sort of boundaries and rules and um, we always ate together at six o'clock no matter what it, what was going on we'd sit at the table and eat together and that was something that's very important to me and my wife Carrie now you know we, we try and do that with our children um we had a I went to a nice school locally um the same school actually where my daughters now go to and that was a good school and again the good head teacher clear boundaries and rules so that was something but I was I, I was you know it was a fun upbringing you know we had a lot of fun along the way as well I don't know if there's, do you want me to go into sort of further on? Well, I was, I was just sort of going to just sort of dive into that a little bit because it's, it's, it's an interest. It's like, it's, it's, it's a, it's an idyllic um, sort of upbringing for a lot, for a lot of people. Um, It's, it's like you said, it was a nice upbringing, but there was also elements of it that were a little bit uh, disjointed. Like you said, your dad, your dad worked away and, and stuff like that. So, I just wonder if you had any sort of memories or anything that sort of came from that that you that you sort of realise now looking back, like with your dad sort of working away. Yeah, it was, it was strange because my dad's plan was to come back to the UK, set up a business, and then that would be it. You know, that would be the per- everything would fall into place and a lovely, perfect bubble. But the business he set up didn't survive. And I think the story is after sort of 12, 18 months, he ended up going back to Germany to try and keep keep the income coming in whilst trying to set something else up along the way. So I've got my, my earliest memories are going to... A, my dad was living in a, a beautiful caravan on the coast in Germany because he didn't need a house, he was just him on his own and he was toing and froing all the time. But we'd be in this caravan like through the summer holidays and I've got memories of playing in the woods and going on the beaches and stuff like that. Um, and then when we weren't there, we were either at home here or with the grandparents in Holland as well. So I, I can speak 
Dutch and German as a result of that without having ever learnt them languages as such. You know, I was just brought up in this strange mixture of... And I remember being excited to hear that my dad was coming home, you know, he'd be back every two or three weeks. And But that was only very early days, you know, but he was back and had set up the company and stuff. By the time I was probably six years old, the business was up and running and he was here all the time again then. Although he did keep contact with some of them other them other people over in Germany. Amazing. All right, cool. So there was a, it was sort of a, an early stage, and then it was what he what he envisioned um, for you guys anyway. Um, so school, nice school. Um, like I said, you um, for me, you you you, co- you came across, you come across as quite a, a, a popular guy, a charismatic guy. Is that is that the is that what school was like for you? What was what was that like for you? Yeah, it, it was a. I, I, I wouldn't say I liked school, you know, but I don't know if any children do at the time. It was, for me, going to school was a bit of a chore because it was stopping me from playing. You know, I wanted to just finish, get in, get changed and play. That was all I remember from school. But I made a lot of good friends through that and that carried on through high school, the same story. So again, I did I did well at school. I got good grades and things at school. And I, I, I got on with, you know, I didn't have issues with teachers particularly or anything like that. I re- had some really good teachers that I still think very highly of to this day. But for me, it was a, it was more about, couldn't wait to get in to see my friends um, and get the work done. So I'd, luckily I'd got that bit where I could get the work done and manage the, the fun part at the same time. But yeah, it was a it was a very in hindsight, I've not really looked back at it before, Lewis, but in that level of detail. But it was a happy childhood, happy schooling. I didn't yeah. like it like the work, but I liked being around the people. Yeah, it's it's just it's just a com- it's just a question that I like to ask because for me school was it wasn't bad, like I wasn't like horrendously bullied and I um, I got good grades and I was I was a smart guy but it wasn't somewhere that I thoroughly enjoyed from a like I had friends I wasn't alone and those sort of things but there were elements of bullying and there were elements of that I didn't enjoy and that like for me it it, it actually shaped me into 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 the man that I sort of became sort of later down the line because of certain certain things that happened that's that's the main reason that that I asked that it's not like a no, and, and, and I see where, you, where you're coming from, from because from as well, if I look back, so, if I look back at it, it's I, there was a bit of bullying. I, I was the kid with ginger hair and glasses, you know, when I was at school, and it's but it never, I never sort of, I think because I'd got such a strong foundation at home, I was able to get over it very quickly, you know, and I wasn't, I wouldn't let it pull me down too much, and I was able to sort of have people to tell and to talk about with it. So, I, you know, I'm really grateful for that because it would have been easy to go the other way. But it's and I had such a close group of friends that it didn't really matter what other people thought so much. You know, it was as long as the people around me thought I was OK. I, I knew I was OK. So it's, it's a good thing to look back at, actually. Yeah, that's I mean there's there's that thing isn't there like i i personally i'm a very big fan of like um boys being boys and having a bit of like uh friendly banter so to speak so like with my with my friends from home and my friends from university the majority of our conversations are 
essentially taking the piss out of each other. Yeah. There's some nice bits thrown in, don't get me wrong. We're definitely, definitely friends. But I think I think for me it's like it's when someone's outside of that circle, it's like, Oh, you can't have a go at me, we're not mates. Like I'm like, I feel like in that in that sort of thing. But if you've got that group of friends around you that are yeah. like, actually, you shut up, mate. Like Yeah. Know, um, and I think with us. That, you know, with that as well, well Louis, there's um there's something in that like it grounds you, you know that bit because there's a there's a fine line between bullying and banter, isn't there? And you, going back to that man thing, people could look out outwardly, and if they listen into some of them conversations, like, that's not a very nice way to behave with each other. But it does sort of keep you grounded as well, and you know it sort of keeps you real and keeps you because you don't want to go floating off thinking that you're something perfect either. So it's quite nice now and again to. To have a yeah, bit of, yeah, a bit of click your rings, but yeah, that's uh, it. Yeah, it's uh, yeah, for, for me, it's like I'm uh, I've never been against it. I think you can, it's very easy to tell the line. I think it's when it's one sided, it's clearly not banter, so like that, it's it's very easy to, to draw a line in it for, for me personally. Yeah. Um, and I've had conversations with people where. I've tried to go down that route and they've gone and then it's like cool no we won't we, we won't play that game we won't dance that tango which is fine it's not it isn't for everyone but uh for me personally it's it's something that playing sport from a young age through to university it just is parcel of the of, of that sort of thing it's very easy to get a nickname quite quickly and yeah, yeah it definitely is because some Visual, re visual reason. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Yeah. So yeah. Um, so sort of moving through, moving through schools, moving into high school, and and sort of uh, having having quite a quite a pleasant childhood. You sort of get to that first what like what I like to call societal pressure. I guess it's like um, the job, college, university. What's the next stage? Do you have do you have many memories of that? What that sort of looked like? Yeah, what yeah, definitely. For you? Yeah, certainly. So the, um, through the through the schools, I, I'm, I think the one of the life defining moments for me was that first day at high school, because that's quite daunting to go from you know the security of a little school. Suddenly, there's all these other people are there. Um, the first day of high school, I met yeah. who were still you know two of my best friends, and we we just hit it off from the first day. And that's sort of been a real whatever's gone on in my life, having having them two in particular there, you know, has been a, a huge thing for me. Um, but going through school, we you know we had all the ups and downs that you do have growing up. But there was good years, bad years, you know, performance-wise at school. And I was lucky enough that I came out with good GCSE grades. Um, got offered a place on to do A levels at the local college. Um, I went to, and we, I'd came, come from quite, it was quite a strict Catholic school, high school that I, we'd gone to. Um, and I went from that to the college, which was completely different. It was like way bigger, but also way more freedom. And I realised after probably about, I don't know, only yeah. probably three or four weeks of being there, that that didn't suit me. I'd come from like this almost regimented, you will wear your blazer and you will have your hair cut to a certain length and you will to suddenly you can do what you want and yeah. it's up to you if you turn up for your lectures or not to I was I found I could get served in a local pub and play pool as well so it was like that was I could see it was going to go wrong very quickly um, and I made a decision and this is you know this is where 
I'm sort of grateful to myself that I went back to the sixth form at the high school. Others absolutely flew in the other environment. But for me, I just knew it. What I needed that structure around me. So I went back to the high school to continue the A-levels. Um, and I, I, again, I did okay with the A-levels, got enough place, enough um, points, UCAS points to secure a place at university. But I'd always worked alongside both high school and and going into um, A-levels, I'd got part-time jobs. So I got a bit of income coming through and that meant you could buy your own, you know, pick your own clothes now and again and go out and do things. Um, but that work ethic was very strong from both parents, you know, that they'd put that into me. And then I was doing some part-time work, again, with the two guys I, was, I mentioned earlier, we were all working at a home base, a DIY store part-time alongside doing A-levels. Um, and we... We started a little gardening business up. Me and Rich, who's one of my best friends, we set this company up ourselves called Ace, Allmark Canavan Enterprises. And we had little leaflets printed off and we got nice. a lawnmower from the garden centre that was you know, partly broke that we managed to fix. And um, we set up this little business through just through the summer holidays. And I won't go into the business story about that, but that meant that the place I'd got due to start in September at the university, I was going to become the first Canavan to go to university. Um, I deferred the place for 12 months because I thought I'd rather see if I can make a go of this business myself first because we were getting a little bit of interest in it. So that was a different story, but I didn't end up going to university as tra traditionally I would have done from A-levels into university because I think the pull to work was much stronger for me than the pull to leave home. And maybe I'd got it too cushy at home as well at that point. You know, yeah. I had a very happy home life and I'd got space as well. So I never felt like I needed to escape home. It just felt I was comfortable to do to carry on as I was at that point. Yeah, it's, um, it's interesting because I... I, I um, I'm quite uh, boring in that sense. I literally went very traditional um, A-levels into university, but um, I've had a few guests that, that haven't done that. And we, and I also had, had a guest who works specifically with, with high school, uh, with high school boys um, and, and young men at like that pressure. And it's almost like, sometimes it feels like you're on that wheel it's like right gcse's uh, a levels university job whereas like it isn't necessarily for everyone and that that's sort of the, the the purpose for that is like did that feel like oh my friends are doing that i'm just going to do that or was it just i'm just going with the flow and and i'll see where i sort of end up at the at yeah the i think there was there was a hope and a bit of a, a pride thing from particularly from my dad's side that he wanted me to do that because he hadn't done that you know he'd had a, he'd had a much tougher upbringing and a far yeah. worse experience at high school than I'd had and he, he was he was sort of really proud that I'd got the opportunity to go and I think he was worried that if I didn't go I wouldn't ever go you know and that was it was a missed opportunity so there's more pressure from him to do that my mum just wanted me to be happy that was and that's always been the case you know so I was very lucky in that but I didn't necessarily have that pressure on myself and as well what happens is you end up like I'd got a girlfriend at the time that was quite serious you know and you think it's serious don't you when you're 17 18 it's the biggest thing on earth ever happened and no other person's ever felt like that and there's a lot of things to, you know going on at the time I suppose in the background but 
it just didn't feel right and I didn't feel ready to go at that point. And it was what I what another thing that was really interesting is you said you did the boring route. I would look at it and think I did the boring route of not going. Yeah, sort of didn't go, yeah, sort of stayed, stayed yeah. put. The, uh, the draw. Where was where was where were you? Did you go in the end? Was that so? Well, what after? I did, I, the business that we were doing, it started getting a bit of interest from it, and there was a real turning point because um, a friend of my dad's, he took redundancy. He was working for British Telecom at the time. This is a guy he'd spent, he'd grown up with, and been away, and a real role model for me in my life. He'd been living in Germany as well, um, but he worked for a long time for British Telecom. He took redundancy and set up his own little gardening business. So there's a real timing of coincidence going on that we'd set this little gardening business up. He'd set one up as well. So between our business and Tony's business, we, I was working pretty much full time. And then my dad had got a training company for young young lads really. It was aimed at you know, young people who'd failed at school to give them a second chance before committed to a career in something they were not interested in. So my dad said, well, you take some work experience, young people with you, which we did. And that, that then triggered a story in the local paper saying, we love the idea of these young people helping older people to sort the gardens out and clear the, clear the estates. And we got some European funding. So it very quickly snowballed from a, a little startup idea into European funding and um, regeneration funding coming through and young people working with us and bigger vans. And it was, but it was all only on a six-month programme. It was a six-month contract that was going to conclude with, well done, that was brilliant. Right now it's time to go to university. Anyway, the 12 months came to an end yeah. and the programme just got bigger and bigger and bigger. And the 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 we were in, we started doing painting and decorating works and got and carpet fitting and different trade areas, and the young people were loving it and the older people having the gardens done were benefiting, so I ended up the 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 deal I made with my, my parents was instead of going off to university, I'll do a part time degree. So I went to Staffordshire University one day and an evening each week. And again, I was really lucky that I'd got the flexibility in the workplace that they'd allow me to do that and they'd give me extra time off if I got assignments to get in on time. And, you know, so I, I, I do look back. I was re that's what I was saying about being grateful as well. I, I had it quite, quite easily compared to some people in that respect. The other thing that was a massive eye-opener for me was the young people that were coming through the training centre to work with or some work experience were like polar opposite upbringings to me. So I'd be driving a van at the age of 19 with 16, 17 year olds, hearing stories and seeing firsthand. And, you know, it, that that was very grounding as well, you know, and that makes me very, when I say the grateful word, it was like a polarized view of the world in one van. You know, this person, me, who's had driving lessons yeah. as soon as I turned 17 to get me to the point I could take a van out and do gardening works to somebody whose parents were stopping them from going to school because they just thought they were, they were sort of, they got ambitions above their place, you know, and they'd say, you don't need to go to school and just treating them awfully. And I was seeing all that sort of stuff and being in different estates, working on different areas that most of my friends would never have seen or experienced as well it was a real eye opener for me. And, put something in me that meant I want to change that and make the world a bit of a better place you know so it, that drove my career a different route as well 
Yes, yeah, it's, uh, it's, um, it's so interesting, like these little, because uh, I, um, I, I've cheated, I know the end of the story, but um, it's, it's interesting to see where, you're, where you are now and where you're sort of going and like this sort of, where this has sort of come from. It's really, it's actually quite, it's actually quite nice to sort of, uh, to hear that. But I, I just want to, I just want to touch just on this little, this little, this little section here. So you, you obviously had those, that group of friends. Did they, did any of those go away or was it just, did everyone end up staying in, in Stoke? Um, there, was, there was friends who did go away. But the, the closest group didn't. So the you know the hardcore of us didn't. Um, most of them yeah. went into work, and it's all sorts of different jobs. You know, and totally different to what they're doing now as well. For the majority of them, you know, I don't think there's anybody really who stayed in one type of role or one thing. They've bounced all over the place, but all it yeah. all got to successful so, positions as well. I interestingly, might, I might be scared. Amazing, amazing. It's yeah, it's it's great. It's great to hear that that's that's sort of the route that that people have taken. I so f for me, just from a from what I what I call like a, a young man's man's journey. Once you've sort of done university and you've and you've got your your first job, not necessarily your end job, or it might not be your career, but that that next stage sort of becomes there's almost that little pressure from parents again of like well who's who's the lucky lady where, are, where when are we when are we settling down when are we buying our own house when are we starting a family um did that did you and your friends sort of do that all together what was what was what sort of happened next with no, that? that was probably a, a, a real mixture you know of some some dead and some didn't and it's it, it was it's an emotional time that is you know when you look back that age is because I, I know exactly what you mean there's so many pulls you've got like friends pulling you one way saying we've got to go partying every weekend and then you've got a girlfriend who's saying we don't need to do that you shouldn't be doing that or we need to do different things and one side thinks the other's wrong and you don't know because you don't know anything different so at that point it was quite I feel when I look back at that stage that was quite a tough time really emotionally to try and get the right balance. And then, you know, it, I, I ended up, I mean, I've, I've been with my wife, Kerry, since the age of 23 now. And I thought because I'd had a couple of very serious relationships before that, compared to most of my friends who hadn't, that I thought, well, I've already done the trying and seen what's out there and all that side of it where, you know, so me and Kerry have been together 23 years now. I've been with her half my life. It's the first time I've realized that till today. Amazing. Uh, yeah, it's uh, it's it's scary but lovely at the same time, right? It's like uh, when you say that out loud, you're a bit like, oh, I think, yeah. oh wow, that's amazing actually that I've managed to share half my life with, <laughs> which is uh, which is great. I uh, for me, uh, like I've got I've got two groups of friends, like really close friends. I'm I'm extremely lucky in in that sense. So I've got my friends from home that. Uh, didn't really traditional career routes, not university focused, and went straight into work or um, did a vocational degree. And then I've got my friends from university who we partied until we were in our mid twenties, and some still do. But I've got those friends from home, families, kids are coming, um, and marriages. 
but it's it's now started to happen on the other side as well so a couple of my friends from uni are now married like quite recently one's just had a baby and uh well i've i've quite well quite recently within the last six months split up with my with my partner um from a previous previous time and that i for me this is probably the first time where i felt like i'm 31 and i'm like it's not i'm not thinking it's too late or anything like that but it's sort of like that first thought has crossed my mind of like i want that one day and i want that with someone but it's like i don't want to i never i'm i'm very some people call me weird but i'm very like i'm very open to new experiences i'm very like free and happy to go with things so when things come and go i just see that as life but i know for other people that that can be quite a like I'm alone, all my friends are with their partners, with their kids. And then that's sort of where I can see where a lot of men start to lose touch with their friends. And it's like, this is where these friendships start to drift apart. They have their own lives, they have their own kids and things like that. But I know that you've got quite a healthy relationship with all of your friends from school. It would be good to know how you've kept that because yeah. I think that would actually be really useful information for people to... to... Yeah, it's interesting because we are, as a group, we're all married and we've all got children now. But from me being one of the first ones to to sort of settle down, I guess, in that respect, with, with Kerry, I was the last one to get married and the last one to have kids. So like you were saying about your concerns about timing and things, well, we were even though we were together quite young... Kerry's more of a party animal than I am, you know, and still less to this day. So it was like we, we she became part of the group and part, and, you know, her and my friend. Where One thing I think that's kept us all together is the girls get on great as well, and that's that's been really important to us. And we've had to work at that over the years, and, you know, not everybody gets on great all the time, but we there was a bit of luck in that as well, that them being so close... And they go on girls' weekends and holidays as we would go out with lads. And we're very lucky that's made it much easier. Well, I know that doesn't always happen for people. Um, but you, you're right, because I, I felt that pressure a lot more than Kerry did. And I have started to say, like, well, we need to get married. We need to have children, because all our friends are having children. And it, I'm, I, was, I was getting older, you know, so I we got married, I think, well, it's 10 years ago this year. So I was, I was 36 when I got married, 37. Didn't have the have the children till I was thirty nine, so we've got twin girls, Elsie and Isabella. So and you get all this thing about body clocks ticking, and that put a lot of pressure on mine and Kerry's relationship. You know, to to a point where we didn't know if that was going to yeah. work out. Um, but it, you know, in in hindsight, it worked out perfectly, and it was right for us at the right time. You know, and I wouldn't change it at all now. And I think even though I was older than some of my friends when they had children, I felt like well, I. I'd got a chance to see a lot more. We had a lot more holidays and we did a lot more things. And, you know, it just it just felt right. And it, it, it say we were very fortunate that when the time came, we decided to do, to you know, to, to try and have a family. It, it happened really quickly. And here we are now, you know, they turned seven a couple of weeks ago. Amazing, yeah. It's, uh, it, well... I, like I say, friends have got kids, and they they seem to be significantly older than they were two minutes ago. Which yeah, is, uh, <laughs> it I does it does age you quickly. Um, so God knows what it's like. 
Yeah, it does. What, what I always say to people um, is you don't... So yeah, I, I see all that. I think... Sorry, we've got a bit of a lag there, but you don't... What I what I say to people is you don't know ty- tiredness until you've... You think you're tired and Ibiza party, and well, that's nothing to having a baby. That's a different kettle of fish altogether. There was an old friend of my dad's who I spoke to. Um, well, they, so it's... it's Sorry, I was just going to say there's a there's a friend of my dad's, an old German. There's an old German guy, and he said to me years ago with me and Kerry, he put a lot of pressure. He was a Catholic, you know, very religious person, and he he couldn't quite handle that me and Kerry were living in sin, you know, and all this time. But he said to us once, he said that those who calculate get disappointed. And what he meant by that was, you need to get married now, and you need to have children now because it might not happen in the future. And that added pressure on us. But in hindsight, he was wrong because I think if it's meant to be, it's meant to be. I'm very much of that mindset. That's yeah. It's a good way to be. It's a it's a really nice way to go go through life. I think we I think we share similar values on that. It's sort of like what happens will happen. Um, and yeah, it it. It's for me. It's something that I've had to work on. I've um, like as I've grown up, it's it's something that I'm becoming more aware of. Because if the the main theme of this is like I guess societal pressures, and I think one of the coping mechanisms with societal pressures is talk to people, try and make it work with the the resources that you have. So in your scenario, it's like trying to get the girls to be friends and 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 make them go to weekends away so that you can also have weekends away is is a nice way of looking at it it's like rather than panicking about what's there use what's there and create some sort of solution which i think is more useful to people than oh all my friends are having kids you'll do type thing because that that in itself creates its own rabbit hole and its own wormhole of sort of bad marriages and what that can lead to in 15 10 15 years and the the pressures on on that side of things because you rushed into things and and tried to jump on the train so to speak so yeah it's quite a nice nice way of looking at it and i think a lot of people should should take inspiration from it and try to um yeah the other thing is that in their in their own life i think like with like with any relationship whether that's the, the friend side or the the marriage side, you've got to make the effort as well. You've got to put, you've got to push things to happen. So I'm I'm known like within our group as the organizer. You know, I'm always the one who's saying, right, we will do this, and we'll make a point of next month we are going to have a night out. Next month we are going to do something, even if we just go out for a walk. Or next month, and you know, it, you've got to do that, and you've got to plan things in because they don't just happen either. So I think with friends, it's easy to get quite lazy and to just say, oh, we'll see each other when we see each other. But you've got to keep making things happen. And it does them good as much as you because everybody's got busy lives. But it's so amazing when you all get back together. It's like we've never been apart. You know, sometimes you might go months without seeing each other and then it's you're straight back to fun. Yeah, definitely. I mean, I've I've lived away from this area and like I say my friends from school are their homeboys basically they've not they've not ventured very far I've got one friend who's who bought a house um, three doors down from his mum that's how far he's moved from home um, he um, but whenever I come back it's like we uh, 
yeah, we don't. He's not asked me what I've been up to. We just carry on as if I'd seen him yesterday. So, as it seems to be quite a common theme for a lot of men that like we we can spend tens, fifteen years apart. I've actually got a really nice story about that. But you can, um, it's like you, it's like you never, no, you never left. And you're right. You've got to work on every aspect of your life: friendships, relationships, career gym health wealth whatever you're looking at to to have a successful life and most men if they know you will speak to you like if you if you feel alone it is okay to reach out to someone that that you know and they will speak to you like as as if nothing's happened most of the time and it's also uh, like i've joined the golf course again quite recently and I didn't know anyone. I was actually playing golf on my own. And one day it was really busy. So I just booked in a time and there was three people already playing. So I played with three other people and I now play golf with them every weekend. And they're completely diverse people that I would never meet ever. We do not talk about anything other than golf. Like we literally <laughs> have one shared interest and that's yeah. it. Um, I don't know. I know a little bit. That's it's not that bad, but yeah i don't know too much about them other than their golf game so i do think it's quite easy if you try and put yourself out there a little bit as well if you're not necessarily in a fortunate position like yourself with close friends around it's it's actually surprisingly not not as bad to make new friends as you as you think but i just i just want to tell you this really nice story because i think you'll actually you'll like this so my my granddad was based in belgium during the war and he was getting he was getting quite old and he he made a friend when he was in belgium uh, a man called jacques dupree which is obviously a beautiful belgian name um and they obviously left after the war he left belgium after the war and, and came back to the uk and they became pen pals and they they wrote to each other all the time um, my mum and my uncle have both stayed at jacques house um when they were in their like when they were teenagers and one of Jack's grandchildren has stayed in, uh, stayed with my with my grandparents, but they'd never seen each other since. And then when I was fourteen, so fifteen years ago, my granddad was in his late eighties. He was quite quite just before, probably I think he died when I was nineteen. So it was like five years before he died. We we went to Belgium um, to to make them meet again because Jack was actually in his nineties. He was actually a little bit older than my granddad. And we stayed in this hotel in, in Brussels and his son came in and he met my uncle and shook his hand. And then Jacques came in and my granddad came past me and they both like, they literally ignored everyone else and just sort of circled round, went and sat on the hotel uh, lobby. Yeah. And my granddad had taken this book with him. It was a... 365 days of planet earth so it was aerial photos of like the amazon and like rivers they sat there not seen each other for 40 years and he's like ah. so this is uh the amazon and he's like he's looking for his book. he didn't talk about anything else other than what it was honestly the most bizarre but beautiful thing I've yeah i've ever seen it just yeah. didn't talk about anything else how's margaret how's your life not, not interested like, look but at this that, book mate well, it's a good book but that's the bit i think <laughs> we're going back to your starting question about that's a man thing that is 
And I find that, you know, like Mickey Flanagan talks about doing F all, doesn't he, and how great that is. And But I think there is yeah. something about just talking crap is brilliant. You know, just to not have to talk. It's, it's great that you can have the serious conversation, but it's like therapeutic to just yeah. talk crap and just make things up and talk rubbish. I love it, I do. That sort of... That that's my dream. That is, it's just to talk rubbish for an hour or two with someone. Well, it's 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 great. I mean, I, I use this example a lot. It's like you come back from the pub, you've been to see a friend. How's how's James? I don't know how James is. How's work? I don't care about James's work. We have talked about beer, football, something we saw on the internet three days ago yeah. and that's it i don't i don't like we're still friends whether he's a bin man or a lawyer or a flipping magician in like i don't care what he does we we were friends when we were eight and yeah. we're friends now like that's it's brilliant <laughs> that's all yeah. we talk about is just random crap yeah um it says it like, like you know say, we, is, we went on it things we went on a holiday we had a villa a group of us before we got the kids there was like four couples in this villa and the, the girls would sort of sit sunbathing and reading and chatting and all this. And we were like, we, we're adults now, but like, it's like watching kids. And we were like inventing games to play in the pool. And this game that we invented called Cups, we found that a tennis ball yeah. fit in one of the plastic cups. So this, then we started putting rules into it. Anyway, after about three days, it was like the most competitive game. And we got sides and you got rules that you have to bounce the ball if you manage to get it to the side. And the girls were like, watch it. Then we stopped playing cups and we invented a game where we worked out there was a hose pipe. But if you if you took the hose pipe to the upper floor of the villa, you could pour beer through the hose pipe. And it was like really funny how long it would take for the beer to work its way down. And it's like just things like that to entertain ourselves all day because we couldn't sit still. Yeah. And it's brilliant. And I love that because it doesn't matter what age you are, you can still have fun, can't you? It's, yeah, exactly. I think we uh, we're big kids. The uh, the toys just get more expensive. I think is the uh, is the saying, right? Yeah. But yeah, I I already want to play cups. Like that's <laughs> all I want to do. Is, you know, I don't, I don't want to talk to you about anything else. <laughs> that's the funny thing about it. Actually, reminds me of a of a game that we uh, we invented at um, at university. We um, we did a similar. We we had a, a beach ball and a, a washing line. And we ended up having a massive competition, and it was like quite a big event at the uni that like all these people came around and played uh, Byron Ball, which was the name of the road. And we had like a league and stuff; it was great. But yeah, it's it's quite funny. But Do you know, Lewis, there's, there's one thing that you said Lewis, quite what, early. Sorry, I'm uh, overlapping which, you again here on the sound. Well, but one of the things you were talking about now, you're like, single. It reminds me around that probably a similar sort of age. We were like pretty settled down most of us one of the one of the guys was always partying always out you know living life to the max and we used to all sort of be envious of him saying like oh you've got to go out again last night out again last night and we haven't been out for three weeks you were out every weekend and and he made he said something to us that stuck with it. he says yeah but you don't see me on a tuesday do you and that was like really poignant that was because yeah. he was what he meant is like that's when I'm out, I'm the party man. But when I'm on my own on a Tuesday and I've not got anything to look forward to for the rest of the week, apart from work, that's the bit where you do want a partner to sit with you and to just watch 
something on the TV and just to have a chat. So it's, it's the grass is always a bit greener, I'd guess, in that respect. Yeah, it's it's what it's one of those, isn't it? But I I would I just like to I want I do want to move on because like your your story is is actually going to go full circle, which is really nice. But you said earlier on about like how you're how you're able to talk to your talk to your close friends, and I mean we we joked and we've talked about some of the stuff that we do that's that's not too serious, which I I find a lot of men get comfort in, and was one of the reasons that I wanted to do this podcast and some of the feedback that I've had is people are just are just glad to listen to just two other blokes. It's almost like they're they're in a virtual pub. But it'd be interesting to know how you how you sort of broach conversations because with 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 those sort of friends and, and how you how you go about that. Yeah, it's uh, we've got um I think you mix it in with a bit of the fun usually. That's how we do it. It's like, you, you know, you, for first thing is, when you know your friends, you know them, and you can tell if something's not quite right. And I think it's about not, you know where we were talking earlier about just talk, small talk, but that's okay, but as long as they're in that same place. And I think what you've got to do is keep your radar on and notice if something's a little bit different or if somebody says they're not coming out and there's no real reason not to come out, it's to sort of challenge them a bit. And like we'll do it by saying, right, what's going on? What about this problem that you had last month that you're not talking about? And more recently, over the last, probably since COVID, when we were released, you know, when we were finally allowed to get out, we made a point of, we set up something called the Curry Club. So me and some friends, we go out once a month, we pick a restaurant to go to. And it was about having a, a point where we said we definitely will be going out. And it was a bit of a check-in with each other. And we even made a, a daft agenda. So we sort of say, right, what's going on with this now? So I, I won't go into the detail because obviously the podcast will be public, but somebody's issue, we'd, we'd call it a silly name and say, right, that's on the list, so you're not getting away from it. We are going to talk about it. And as long as you tell us all that's okay and it's in hand, we move on to the next item. And then there's some really silly ones that we have a bit of fun on the way as well. But it's like we each have to chair it. You have to book the restaurant and then we all have to rate it after and give it a very critical, like the poppadoms weren't crunchy enough type rating or the the the, the naan breads were too small, you know. But... It, it makes us go out, but also it does make us talk, you know, because we, we, you can, yeah. we have all the small talk, but we've got some serious points as well that we want to keep an eye on for each other. That's, it's, it's, it's really nice. I mean, I've, um, one of, literally the first one of this was with, um, friend from uni and we, we sort of said like, we had a really great conversation and it was probably the first conversation that we've ever had that was, about this and we he sort of said that whenever he would want to talk about something he would be like oh i need to have a chat and that almost sets a tone so that that and and to be honest with you the more i've done this the more maybe people have feel more comfortable opening up to me because i've opened up myself i don't yeah. i don't know the, the 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 reason why but more people have started to share with me and have have conversations with me in those informal settings by like you say just dropping it in and just and just changing it about and just having quite a deep conversation and then just chatting shit again two minutes later which is really well it's, it's good for me i'm 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 glad that that's uh having that effect but yeah when we first started it it was like oh you can't have this conversation with with so and so whereas yeah it's that just dropping it in and almost like 
testing the waters a little bit, but you, you, you're like, oh, the missus is being a pain in the pain in the arse again. Like, it's, it's listening to those cues, like you say, and like yeah. having the balls to, to dig on it, I guess, as, as a man, I guess, and being like, oh, what's what's happening with that? Why? Why is that? Have you have you tried this? We did this. We had similar issues because we, as friends, you naturally have similar problems. Like yeah. there's a reason that you get on with people because it's similarities. So one problem that you've had, so and so may have already had, and already come up with a solution. So it's you know, great to you know sometimes as well when you. You, you listen to things and people will blame other things so you'll you'll start hearing like work's terrible work's this work's that is a common one what they actually are saying is it's, there's something going on they're not happy that's what's coming out I read into it a lot of the times and work is the easy one as a man to blame and to say it's because of work yeah and I think that's what you've got to look out for stuff like that sometimes as well that it could be something else's fault but what they're actually saying is I'm not happy you know there's something wrong yeah that's uh um I would I would say I'd say Dan you're you're, you're quite clearly a very emotional intelligent intelligent guy which is I would say is quite a rarity so you're you're in a re very fortunate position I think your friends are very fortunate to to have you around as well so um, but you're right. It's it's just yeah. just digging a bit. I think as well. It's just yeah. it's 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 that same thing. It's, there's we'll, a bit of a we'll bravery. Take, we'll take the mick out of each other for our deepest darkest secrets. You know, earlier when we were saying about meeting people and being open, like myself and you, Lou, straight away we got talking on that very first day at university, and you could just tell there was we we were close. You know, we've got some similarities in yeah. the way we were. Just the fact we started talking to each other. Um, but I think it's, I'm lucky that some of my friends are the same in that respect as well. But also it's that, it's that, I don't know if the word's bravery, but it's more about being willing to put yourself out there a bit, not worrying about somebody not answering you back or wanting to speak to you back. That also works then with trying to find out what's going on with people. Maybe it's a bit of a Dutch thing as well, because Dutch people, I've just had some friends over from Holland and they're not scared of saying what they think, you know, they just come out with stuff. My mum's terrible for it. She'll just say whatever's on her mind. And she doesn't really care if people, she doesn't want to hurt anyone's feelings, but she doesn't really care if they don't want to hear it. And I don't know, hopefully it's not done in a negative way, but I think that means I'll ask people to do stuff or ask them what's going on, even if it might be the British thing is, oh, that's very personal, you shouldn't talk about that. Well, they can tell me I don't want to talk about yeah. it, but I'm still going to ask you about it. So, and I'm very lucky. Some of my friends are the same. They would do, and I've seen that with you know what we'll probably talk about in a bit. But it's been a tough year for me personally, and I've gone through quite a lot myself over the last seven or eight years. But they are always there for me, and it might just be a little text message: "You okay today, mate?" And it's just something like that that gives you the, if you need to, yeah. you can. That's all it can take sometimes. Yeah, definitely, definitely, definitely. I, I'm, I'm actually really glad that this is the first episode of this. Let's call it series two. Why not? It technically yeah. is because you've, um, you've articulated really well uh, what what I'm looking to achieve next. I think um, 
mental health is important and i think this is what we're probably going to now move on to a little bit and it's almost i like that this is now more of a section of the podcast rather than the overall theme of the podcast we've we've spent a lot of time talking about i guess solutions and real life solutions like how you've navigated through life and what life looked like and and where you're at now and i think that's a lot more useful to a listener than i guess an hour and a half of 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 pity me boo me type type scenario and and then this is how i overcame it it's almost the reverse of that it's like this is what life is and now we're just going to touch on a part of your life that is like you say it's been a bit of a, a tough patch for the, for that and and some people's tough patches are bigger and stronger and longer and deeper and and scarier and i get that but we we can use similar tools and we can have similar conversations with similar people and hopefully a support network around us not everyone has a perfect network but there are solutions and there are options to other people as well so first of all thank you would be the would be the yeah i really want to sort of have a yeah so i I I really want to now just go into that i want you to do it at your own pace really if 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 that's at all possible dan and just sort of go into i guess you've told me it's a peak and a trough so just sort of talk us through that 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 story of so how you got there and where you're at now yeah, so the I, I suppose I was on the you'd look at it as going up the upward trajectory, and everything was hitting targets, and the business was getting bigger and bigger, and my role changed very quickly. I became the project manager, and then got the company had was was growing quickly. In two thousand and seven, um, we got bought out by a local housing organisation. That took us to a whole new level then again. So it meant that I was working very closely with my dad at the time. My dad was then out of that business completely, even though he'd only got sort of minimal involvement at the time anyway. He was out of that business completely. And that was like, now's your chance, Dan. You've got to stand it stand it alone. You know, you've, it's not Dan who's part of the family business. This is now Dan who's part of this big corporate structure. Um, and my auntie used to say to me, he, that was the best favour my dad ever did to me because I was working for a very small family business that was a beautiful place to work, you know, it was so good. But it wouldn't have prepared me for other other places and I wouldn't have had the career path that I ended up taking then and I wouldn't have had the exposure to so many different things and the business wouldn't have been as successful either. So we went from 50 staff at the point of being acquired to we ended up in 2017-ish, which was probably the peak. We ended up about 150 staff um, we went to nine million pound turnover, uh, making record profits. We were a social enterprise, so we were able to do a lot more with that profit than we'd ever done before. So we were gift aiding that and getting more, making huge, helping over a thousand people a year coming through the company. So all that sort of running along in parallel with my life of me and Kerry having a great life and first house, second house, you know, everything was sort of going really lovely. Um, in 2013, we uh, we decided to get married. Um, we didn't have a long, massive wait for that. We said we we're going to get married, and we booked it in quite quickly. Um, we got married in 2013, and at the same sort of time, my dad was diagnosed with terminal cancer. So that was a that was a hammer blow. That was. I always remember it was on a, a birthday. We'd all the family had gone around to my mum and dad's house, and 
he, he didn't say a word. He was absolutely perfect. And I only found out the next day, he asked me and my sister to go round. And he said, right, look, don't worry. He said, but I've had an x-ray. And we, me and my dad played a bit of golf. We were awful at it. But we'd golfed the week before we'd been golfing. And he could only do nine holes because he couldn't catch his breath properly. So wisely, he went and went yeah. to see the doctors. And luckily, the doctor sent him for an x-ray. Anyway, Kate turned out that he'd found out on my birthday that they'd seen this mass on his lung and it didn't look good. That was basically where he was up to, but he didn't want to ruin my yeah. birthday, which is ridiculous. It's not like I was 10. It was, you know, I could have dealt with that. But the next day I went with him to a hospital appointment to get the results of what they'd found. And anyway, they said, yeah, there is a mass. It is cancerous, but where it is means it's inoperable. And he was like, so I'm sitting there thinking, right, well, inoperable, that doesn't sound great. So, well, can you treat it with radiotherapy, chemotherapy? And they said, no, inoperable, stage four, this is terminal, this will be the end. But he was he was a picture of healthy, and you know, where you'd think he'd have a cough and a cold and he'd be poorly, and he was he was fine. Yeah. And that, the measure of the man was, I then said, well, what are we talking to the doctor? And I always remember, he just got my arm and he said to me, he said, don't ask that and don't you answer that because he said I'm going when I'm ready he said I got a feeling you were going to say this and he was so calm about it and it, I just remember coming out thinking like that is not what I was expecting so um, you, you start googling even though everyone says don't and it meant he'd got six months basically what they described when I googled it he'd got six months so I was straight away looking, what's in America? What's the miracle cure? We can fight this, we can change it. And what was interesting, the only question my dad asked the doctor at that point was, what would you do if it was you to the doctor in terms of treatments and things? And the doctor said, he said, do you know what, Sean? He said, I might do nothing. He said, I might just let nature take its course. And it was really interesting that was to hear that from a doctor, you know. And so I'm like, well, we can't do that. Anyway, I found in yeah. America there was this amazing drug that was having it was on trial, and that drug, we managed to get it funded here yeah. in this country because the doctor said, "We'll try anything because there's nothing we've got that can help you." That drug worked for the first year. It was absolutely amazing. It shrunk yeah. it all, and, and it had no side effects. It wasn't like chemo or anything. But then it stopped working. So then I was like, what's the next one? Anyway, he ended up surviving for three years. And he used to say to he used to say to me and my wife, he loved Kerry, he used to say to her all the time, right, you pair, I want to see you have some children before I go. So that was adding a bit of pressure on. And he used to call them, he said, bread snappers. Yeah. He said, I want some bread snappers in this house before I go. And unfortunately, he missed them by a week. So my dad died... He knew that she, we were we were having two little girls. I managed to take him to a scan. Amazing doctor let him come in on one of the scans, and he saw the 4D version of them. Um, but he, he said to me, "So look, I haven't got another eight weeks in because it was eight weeks till the due date." He passed away, and the girls were born a week later. And it was like that was traumatic because they were premature and they were tiny. So they were in these incubators, and all that was going on just a week after my dad had passed away. So I was dealing with the grief and the happiness of birth, but also the fear because they were, it was very dangerous, you know, how young, how small they were at the time. So yeah. it was just a, a crazy period that was. And people have said to him since, well, he was such a big character, he needed two people to replace him. And it, it was a very strange grieving process. Yeah, nice. I, remember, I remember coming out of the neonatal to go to my dad's funeral. 
you know, that's like a really strange thing to have to do, to then go back to see your children, yeah. your little babies and make sure they're still okay later on. But on its own, there's a lot of mental health things around the trauma of a premature baby, you know, and then the babies were, after just four weeks, they were allowed to come home. Um, and I, we, me and Kerry felt it was too soon, and we were sort of arguing with the nurses that we felt it was a bit too soon. Anyway, they came home, and within, I think, three days, you've suddenly you've got these babies. You don't, you've never been a parent before. You don't know what you're doing. One of them, Elsie, she started getting really poorly to the point where she like just stopped breathing one night in my hands, you know. And I was like ringing an ambulance and chaos and then they were in for another week really ill on they got they caught an infection from something and i was so lucky that my my old boss who was a guy called alan salt he i loved him and he loved me you know we'd worked together he'd known me since i was a little lad that he just let me do whatever i needed to do so i'd work i'd come in i'd go to the neonatal i'd be doing and you know a lot of employers probably couldn't have coped with what was going on at the time so I'd got no extra pressure from work yeah. to worry about. I knew the guy, Will Nixon, who ran the, the training, ran the housing and training company at that point for, for us, he was the same as well. They were all saying, just do what's right, you know, we'll support you. You've put a lot in, you can take... So I was, it was just trying to survive at that point. Yeah. And I didn't really have time to think about the mental health side. Or me or Kerry, we look back at it and think like, how did we get through that? You know, and it was just... I think the fact that you've got these babies that just keep happening they don't stop and wait for you to feel stop getting upset or it wasn't really an option to get upset so that went on that was 2016 um 2000 everything sort of settled again and you know we were looking after my mum at that point to make sure my sister's okay and you know just as a family we pulled together my auntie and uncle and we were a very close family so we all yeah. made sure we were all okay Business was okay, going fine. Um, and then in 2019, my Will, who was the guy I mentioned, he, he said he was going to retire. Um, so that meant for me there was an opportunity to become the managing director of the business where I was operations director at that point. That was the dream come true. It had gone almost full circle that from being the small family business that one day I would take over to then it was part of this big group that meant it was probably a bit out of reach but I developed enough to be in the reckoning for it at least. And then after all the recruitment process, I think it was the 28th of February, I got the job. So I, I, I had the interviews and I got a phone call from Sinead who runs Aspire to say, great news, you've done, you know, done really well. We want you to run the business. So I like, got the happiest moment ever, you know, it was a dream come true stuff. And it just meant like everything had gone full, perfect, worked out perfectly. Anyway, two weeks later, COVID struck. You know, we'd never. I've looked back at emails from around that February time, and there was just like there was HR messages saying, "Just make sure you wash your hands a bit more often." You know, it's very. This is not going to bother us. It's over in China, but there is now a case, and then now there's three cases. So just be a bit more careful what you're doing. And two two weeks later, I was closing the place down. You know, and everything stopped because we were hands-on practical construction training. We couldn't do anything. The whole we had kids. We had seventy-five vans going yeah, out each day. All the vans were taken off the road. So financially, everything, all the income stopped, but the outgoings didn't stop. And it just, it, it was just an absolute 
crazy time when I look back at it and that was it was awful and then to make it worse at the same point you know well after about a year of Covid being on and off I lost my auntie the first the first week of Covid we lost one of the staff through it one of the supervisors actually died so a lot of people were saying you know it's nothing it's just a cold it's just a cold I was like well it, it isn't because a guy I've worked with who's a, a brilliant character you know he just died of it. This is real. This thing is. So I'd got all trying to contend with yeah. something that I could never have envisaged. You know, it was just it was just a crazy for everyone worldwide. Once this isn't just for me, but then we lost my auntie, not COVID related. Yeah, yeah I lost nice. my auntie at the same time, and my auntie hadn't got any children, so I was really close with her, and she she'd have our girls at least once a week, and she was a, a, an amazing person, you know. So. It, it was just awful, you know, from that point of view of being re so restricted and you've got these little children that you can't go on holiday, all your dreams that you'd got at the time to do things were all on hold. Couldn't go see, my yeah. mum was living in Burton-on-Trent, you couldn't see her, so you're FaceTiming and just, it was just a lot. And then my whole pitch to get the job was about how do we grow this company? How do we take it forward? How it was all just about survival. I spent two and a half years just trying to fight to survive. Yeah. It was, uh, yeah, it was not a not a good year for well, a few years for for a lot of things. Do you do you think now that it's you're able to? Because there's so much in like some people probably wouldn't have that in a in a lifetime. That sort of five year span. Do you feel that? It still felt a bit surreal at the time. Is it? Is it? Is it only now starting to? Is there still a bit of grieving process? Is there still a bit of like, oh, the the girls were so little and this happened. And like, is it all just sort of slowly coming back now, or did you feel that you dealt with it relatively well? I at think the time? I, I think I did all right with it, to be honest, Lewis. I think I, I, I'm I'm fortunate because I think some people handle things differently than others and I think my way is I was I was okay I was sort of I got my own way of dealing with stuff I got a very supportive family you know particularly Kerry she was with me every step of the way you know and it, it hurt her as much as me the lost side of things did but from the business point of view it was it was far more than a business this is a company I've been with you know since I was 19 18 it was a family business attached to it as well that was all the, you know, I put got a lot of pressure on me from the, the the family histories in your hands almost. The building we were in was called after my father. And it was like going wrong on my watch. And that was a lot of pressure that was. But more than anything, the bit that I struggled with, and people won't know this, so I'd say ultimately it ended in the business closing in November last year. So despite the battle, we just lost the fight in the end. The, the numbers of young people, we hadn't been able to recruit in schools for two years. We went from 400 starts a year down to 200, down to 150. We'd had no income. We'd gift aided all the, all the reserves we had, as we did every year when times were good. We gift aided them to the charity, so we'd left ourselves with no reserve, not ever dreaming there'd be a worldwide pandemic around the corner. So it was just a lot of things that were, were wrong at the time. Yeah. And there was, the, I, I can sort of sleep at night knowing that I gave it the best fight I've got and I know people around me gave it the best fight that they'd got as well. 
But ultimately, I had to deal with the fact that out of the 150 staff, 75 of them were going to lose the jobs. And that was, that's the most pressure I've ever felt in my life. And it's, you know, I'll never, I, I hope I never have to feel that again. That was enormous. Yeah, it's. Um, I mean, seventy-five is a is a large is a large number. I I also had to had to let go of a, of a few people over over COVID. Uh, I, well, the yeah, the whole the whole business again. Myself sort of ended in closure, I guess. Um, so yeah, I, I I have a brief understanding of of letting people go and did you did you have the, the same feeling Lewis did you have that was that a big thing in, in your mind around what's going to happen to them that was the bit for me that was like the biggest thing was like have I what have I done to them almost it was a guilt of guilt was a big thing in there yeah I um I was in a really well uh, thankfully because it was such a small team we we managed to get a few people repositioned and a few uh someone went and got another job we sort of kept people in the loop and uh again similar scenario sort of kept one person to the the very end and they they managed to get work again but it's you're right it's like what is next for them and you feel so much responsibility for it and it's like tough i don't know how i don't I, at that sort of level that's even yeah, i can it, it can only have been magnified, not uh, not easier. The fact that it was more people, and and I think the other bit that because there's a there's the a other voice bit that face, I guess. yeah the other bit that magnifies it as well was I think because we were so I'd got like a really open management style, you know I I was part of the team, a massive part of the team, and we were yeah. all in it together, and we'd all gone through so much tough stuff through that two and a half years that that made it even worse in a way because I'd promised and I'd sort of prayed that we'll get through this. We've got through the worst of it, we, not knowing that the yep. worst was yet to come and yet to come again, do you know? And it was that sort of made it much worse because it was more than just colleague management relationship, you know, we were all in this together. And the people who worked there, even way before COVID, I know they could have gone and earned more money elsewhere and done you know the same job for more elsewhere. But they were there because of what we did and how special it was and the way we we ran as a business. So that that sort of made it worse. It was more painful because it hurt everybody to have to leave. And I still I see that now and hear that now when I speak to them. You know, yeah. That it, it was more than a job. That was the killer for all of us. Yeah. Which yeah, which is uh, a dying shame, really. But I guess I guess from there, sort of what you've what you said sort of earlier on was like you've um, it's allowed for growth. It's allowed you to to sort of move on to your to your next stage as well. I guess which is exciting. It allowed you to meet me, which is a great honor and a privilege. Yeah, uh, of and, course, and very lucky. To do this podcast, which is uh, yeah, so, yeah. Um, I, I don't know how much if you want to go into the sort of the next stages well, or whatever you sort of want to. Yeah, I suppose on um, the just on the mental health side of it, because I got everybody was saying, "Are you okay? Are you okay?" You know, particularly at that time when we knew the business was closing, and I wasn't okay, but I was coping. Yeah. You know, I say I was in like an autopilot when I look back at it, and what I what I did was 
I actually spoke, we had a, an in-house counsellor who used to work with the young people who'd got issues going on. And I just rang her up one day and I said, can I have a chat with you? And I got talking to her and she was really helpful to me because, and I, I don't know, it's not something I thought I would have ever done. And I spoke to her just once, or, once, or, once a week for probably three or four weeks. And it was really useful for me to air it because having, and she was a stranger to me in many respects, you know, it's not somebody who knows me personally. And I found that really useful. And she drew it out of me as well. So I would be making small talk to avoid the deep stuff. And she'd keep dropping in something to say, but, but Dan, you can't be okay. You tell me you're okay, but you can't be. And airing it, makes such yeah. a difference and it's interesting like my my little girl was really upset about something that had happened at school now she's the six and seven year olds these this year of school so it's it's tiny stuff that's happened but i could see yeah. it was bothering her and i'm saying to her but if you tell me and you explain to me what's happened you'll feel better i promise you because worries can't live in the open air that's like the way that we talk about it and i think that was the same with yeah. myself and I made a commitment to myself that I was going to, I was going to heal from it. I was going to go through. I was going to give myself at least six weeks of grieving time. So the business closed in November, and I said, right, I'm not going to work until the new year. I'm going to take time to decide exactly what next. And I was fortunately fortunate that the redundancy allowed me to do that. But I joined the gym. I was doing yoga and body balance and it might sound a bit cheesy and that's the sort of stuff that my mates will rip me apart for but they haven't done it if they did it they'd love it that's for certain and it was just about giving me a reason to get physically and mentally better you know and feel better one of the other one of the good things that happened with covid was when you suddenly trapped and working from home I started running again and I hadn't been running for a few years before that. So that's a big thing for me ever since COVID is I still go out and run. And that's if I feel yeah. I'm re I've got too much going on in there, I get out and I run. And I'm not a good runner by any stretch of the imagination. I'm slow and I'm ploddy and but I'm out, you know, and it gets me heart racing and it clears my mind. It's really good for me. So that again is something for other people that I'd always recommend is just do something, get out in the open. Yeah, it's it, it's it, it doesn't have to be as extreme as as running. Yeah. I know running isn't extreme to a lot of people, but to other people it is quite an extreme. Um, I know friends who walk their dog listening to heavy metal. Like it's yeah. whatever whatever your release is, is is do something rather than sit, sitting inside. Um, so yeah, yeah. Um, do something. But yeah, running running is a it's very easy. You only need a pair of trainers and, a, and an outside. So yeah, the other bit with the reason I think I run is it's quick. The run isn't quick, but it's over and done in half an hour. You know, forty minutes and I'm back. And for me, it's like I know I've done it. I, you know, I come in absolutely shattered. But it like it's almost like gives me a reset point that does. And I'm, I get a shower and I'm ready. To, I feel ready to go again mentally. It's good. It's um, it's it's whatever. That's again is is the other thing with this is like 
that works for you it might not have worked you tried other things as well and they did work to an extent but this is now your con your constant your consistent yeah. uh release and i think that's really important for people to find whatever it might be to be honest with you i would probably say i play golf religiously every week like i when the weather's good i will play every week so that is walking and yeah. hitting a golf ball and that isn't super strenuous but that's my release and it's a, it's a constant um, i go to the gym and do other things but i think my my true release is golf is, yeah. is genuinely yeah do you know what it does it go golf team. makes you completely so, switch off doesn't it you have yeah, to you uh, have to you concentrate on that little ball and everything else isn't important anymore and it's just letting your brain change i think and being out in the fresh air in the open yeah well it's the same with running you're concentrating on breathing not surviving dying, not falling over like it's uh you uh yeah <laughs> you're uh distracting yourself one way or another thankfully in a healthy way there's uh there's other vices i guess yeah um <laughs> that couldn't be as good so dan it's been an absolute pleasure like i said i'm i'm thoroughly grateful that you're actually uh, this episode because I think that chat was was different to the other ones and it was good to hear your your story as well and, 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 and just sort of touch on that. That was a nice nice bit at the end. But I think what we've what we've gleaned from this podcast is uh a lot more beneficial about how you sort of gone through life and, and tackled those those certain things and very proactive is is the takeaway is, uh, from, yeah. from my side, Lewis? Just to just to I suppose to finish from my point of view, I think the the fact that the course at Stafford University came up, the master's degree, was like perfect timing. And where yeah. we started the conversation earlier about fate and things dropping in at the right time, there is the, I, I, I don't know if it is it luck or is it fate, but that course coming up was about right. Be an entrepreneur, get a master's degree create your own business but in a structured environment again which goes back to I need structure I met yourself I met some great people on the course as you have you know that we've got a really good team on there of people we've got great people leading the program but it just felt right at the right time for me and then other things have fell into place that I would never have expected to happen so like other bits of work are coming through now as well that means I've not got the stress of worrying too much about how do I pay the mortgage each month that's letting me concentrate on trying to create my own thing so fingers crossed we'll have a, a season three or season four where we'll both be talking about our new ventures and what next rather than what happened yeah definitely i uh i was literally i mean to be honest with you i've actually i said that um in some of the earlier episodes was the true test of this will be a catch-up a year later um almost like that uh tv program seven up or whatever it was called where they followed those kids it'd be yeah. quite it'd be quite nice to do that and also it makes it a lot easier on me finding guests um, <laughs> <laughs> if i make everyone come back so yeah i, I i'm completely with you i want to I want to see where you get to next and there's going to be more challenges that's life right it's not it's not plain sailing from here there's definitely going to be exactly. potentially bigger potentially more scary and potentially more regular yeah uh, things that happen and it's 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 how we deal with those and, and how we sort of move from there but yeah 
again it's been an absolute pleasure dan is there i'll i'll leave it i'll leave it with you is there anything else that you want to you want to add uh, no i've enjoyed the chat yeah yeah i'm always here if you need a chat as well you know that awesome well thanks very much for listening and i'll be back with a, another episode thanks once again dan i'll speak to you soon